Hello, and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. We are so excited to launch our podcast and to have our executive director, Pam Wiseman, on to help introduce you to our coalition for our very first episode. Hi, Pam. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your role with the coalition and who you are? I'm Pam Wiseman, and I'm the director of the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I've been here since, I guess, 2009. Uh, before that, I was the director of a domestic violence, sexual assault, battering intervention, and substance abuse agency. Uh, basically, those were the services in uh, Illinois, and I was there for about 20 years. So I've been doing this for uh, a long time. So who is NMCADV? So uh, thank you, Rochelle. Uh, the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence is made up of about uh, 32, 33 uh, domestic violence uh, service providers from all over the state. They provide services to survivors of domestic violence, to their children. They also, uh, many of them, provide services to people who have committed uh, domestic violence in the form of groups known as uh, battering intervention programs or uh, BIP. Uh, in addition to that, we have uh, a number of stakeholders, organizations, individuals, and groups who are members of our coalition and who uh, just really want to be involved uh, in the work that's being done here. Could you tell us a little bit about what the purpose is of a coalition, what we do, and how we might be different from direct service providers? The purpose of a coalition, and by the way, Every state has one and all the territories. So there are quite a few of them, but the, the purpose really is, there, there are several purposes. One is to make sure that all of the domestic violence providers and consequently the people that they serve, the survivors that they serve, have a voice in what happens here in the state. Um, and so we bring them together, we provide information, we do policy work, uh, we do some work on uh, legislative initiatives, um, we request uh, additional funds, which we did get this year and which I can say something about uh, later, and we help build the capacity of our programs to really serve their programs extremely well. We are ourselves uh, serving survivors. Um, we are helping the programs that do serve them to do it better. So how is NMCADV different from other state coalitions? Well, as you can well imagine, every state is different, right? There's a shock. And every state emphasizes uh, or focuses on maybe one issue more than the others. Um, we tend to uh, focus a lot on building the capacity of our membership. In fact, um, we are very clearly accountable to our provider programs. 
and we know it. Our board of directors spent, I don't know, almost a week, I guess, in various meetings over the last you know, three years, trying to get clear on this very question that you asked. Why does a coalition even exist, right? And to whom are we accountable? And, and the answer that we came up with was we are accountable to our provider programs. They in turn are accountable to the people they serve and to their communities. So that's, that is our model and other coalitions share it, but not all do. Some coalitions mostly focus on policy and they have lots of different members. So there are various ways, but that's one way that we're different. We're really clear about um, who our client, I guess, uh, is. The other way I think that we're different and which has um, in recent months become very evident is that we uh, focus uh, quite a bit on um, working with people who commit domestic violence. And in fact, of the 24 funded programs in this state, programs that are funded by CYFD to serve people who uh, commit domestic violence, of those 24 programs, fully 20 of them are part of uh, survivor service agencies. So we are really all together. And that has been, I think, the key to the success, really, of battering intervention programs all over the state. Um, we are known nationally, even internationally, for our work with battering intervention. And I think, again, that's because our programs have been working together. So you have a collection of people who are experts in domestic violence. They understand survivors. They understand um, children of survivors, and they understand people who commit uh, the crime of domestic violence. And by knowing all of that, being able to put that all together, the services are, um, I think, more comprehensive and better. So in those ways, right, the focus on battering intervention and the focus on um, our members makes us different. And then last, I just want to mention that we do a lot of training. Um, and we've gotten, I think, to be um, pretty good at it. And the reason we're good at it is because our programs tell us what they need. And so that's what drives us. We know what they want and, and that's what we work to do. And so we've had, um, we've trained hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, especially over the last couple of years during the pandemic, right? Everybody closed down. We didn't have any trainings. We weren't driving all over the state. Everything was virtual. And because of that, we had the time, the capacity, the resources to be able to really do a lot of training. And we did. And um, much of it had to do with building the capacity of our programs and helping them to navigate through the pandemic. So um, hopefully, um, that will continue in some form as we you know, get to the, the end of all this. So um, we're the same in lots of ways as many coalitions. And I think we're also different in what we emphasize in, in our approach. How do you feel that the coalition has changed over the years? I think that has been, that's certainly been the way that I conceived of this coalition uh, really almost from the beginning um, I, so I can't really say what it used to be because I wasn't here. 
Um, but it became clear to me, I mean, not all at once, but, you know, it became clear to me over, over, you know, time that that was the right direction. Does that mean it will always be the right direction? No. I mean, things certainly change as we have obviously seen, but, um, it, it has been the way that it was the only way I could imagine a coalition, uh, could be successful. In lots of cases, even in our own case, um, coalitions are fragile things. And uh, sometimes uh, there are differing opinions and um, those fragment coalitions and they split apart. When I arrived here, um, that had been the case. The coalitions had, you know, half of them or more um, had fallen off for, uh, for various reasons. And so it needed to come back together. And I, I think that for us as a coalition, one of the things we've continuously worked on is how can we stay together, right? Not have that happen to us um, while also being able to express ourselves. So, um, you know, there are lots of, uh, political or ideological or cultural uh, stances that we could take um, and that, you know, we as an office might really want to take. But again, we are not accountable just to ourselves. We're accountable to the people that we serve and that's everyone that we serve. So um, I think uh, we have managed to stay together by thinking of this is a coalition of the willing. If people want to support a certain um, uh, stance or posture or act, then they're certainly free to do that. But we try, let me just say this. I think going forward, there's nothing more important than having a big tent. If we are fragmented, um, then we'll kind of be, um, well, we won't kind of be, we will definitely be much less influential and much less powerful. And we have a lot of supporters and we have a, a lot of members and a lot of people who really care about what we do. And we can and should um, use that, uh, that, that power to make sure that our programs and the communities that they serve can continue to do really well. And so that's, um, that was kind of a long answer to a question that probably should have been a little shorter, but um, staying together in the face of increasing attempts to polarize us um, has been a goal. Whether that will be successful in the end, uh, I can't say, um, but uh, that is how I have seen it. How do you see us changing in the future, Pam? How maybe do current events change and challenge the work that we do? Well, I think um, evolving is not a choice. It is inevitable, right? I mean, organizations grow, they change. Um, and I am, I guess, not so presumptuous as to say that I have even the slightest idea, really, what the future might hold. Um, things could be very, very different in a few years, or they could be more like they are now than 
than than different. So I, I don't know. Um, but I think being um, able to work with larger groups of people and being flexible and nimble can only help us navigate whatever is uh, coming our way. In terms of specific uh, kinds of changes in our work, we're going to be, you know, we became all remote, basically. We didn't go anywhere for, what, two and a half years. And so I suspect there's going to be some sort of a hybrid model now where some of it's remote and some of it's in person. We'll be doing both. I doubt we'll ever go back to um, everybody's in the office all the time and we don't do much training or or meeting online, I think it's going to be a combination because there were benefits uh, and costs both to that way of being. So I think finding a place in the middle is probably what we'll do. What are some forward-facing goals that our coalition has? Oh, there are all kinds of goals. So let me just say a couple of things. First, the goals uh, don't come and shouldn't come from me they should come from the members. And so I think continuously trying to um, find out where they are and where they think they're headed and what they need, that's really going to frame what we do. Because again, we're accountable to them. But one thing I can say is we know that if you want to reduce or prevent domestic violence, the way you do that is through um, developing cultivating, I guess, a community that is not tolerant of domestic violence. Where violence is acceptable or where there are no consequences, there is no change. In fact, violence uh, and really bad behavior of all sorts, no matter what we're talking about, gets worse when there are no consequences. And so we can't let that happen, right? But consequences do not have to mean incarceration. It doesn't have to mean punishment, but it has to mean hearing and understanding that there are results uh, for our our actions. Um, and, And that can be achieved in a variety of ways, not the least of which is having a battering intervention program where um, people who've committed that crime uh, attend and get to decide about whether they're going to continue their behavior or whether they're going to stop it. So I think whatever we can do to help get our communities to a place where they say, yeah, that's really not right, and where they can feel that standing up for people is a good thing to do. I know we don't have time today, and so I I won't really say much about it, but one of the things that I think most troubles uh, people, it certainly troubles survivors of domestic violence, it troubles the people who serve them. And in general, I think, when there is a sense of real injustice, when people do really bad things, and they're very clearly bad, it's not ambiguous, and no one stands up for that person or those people, right? There's a kind of just demoralization that happens when, um, when people are not supported and things don't change and they feel alone. 
So that's why having a community that understands what these issues are, is equipped to talk about it, deal with it, and to send a message about it. Um, again, it doesn't have to be our typical way of doing criminal justice. It doesn't have to be that at all. But it needs to be something. And the community needs to say, and people who commit crimes or who might commit crimes need to hear, there's something else, and we need you to do the something else. And I think that, in the long run, is going to be the most important uh, thing that we can do. What do you feel are the challenges that are unique to New Mexico? I'm asked a lot, is New Mexico the worst place for domestic violence? And the answer is, I don't know. And neither does anyone else, really. It's Domestic violence is significantly underreported. And so it's hard to make any claims about how big of a problem it is or isn't. New Mexico is like every place else. Um, and uh, there is, it's difficult to hold people accountable. Um, there's not enough money or, or has not been in the past to really provide the level of service that uh, both survivors need and children and also people who commit that crime. So that it might be exacerbated a little bit by our lack of resources, but in general, New Mexico is like every place else in the country and arguably every place else in the in the world. And so, again, communities that don't tolerate violence and a criminal justice system that um, echoes uh, what that community is saying is it, what's going to make the I think the, the biggest difference. What is some of the work that we've done as a coalition that you are most proud of? I, there, there, I don't know if I would say I'm proud of it, but I'm happy about it. And that is that we, in uh, I think 2014, Senator Nancy Rodriguez um, was approached and asked to fund both uh, services for children and for the pets of survivors. And before that time, our programs did serve children, but not very many of them did. And most of them didn't have a full-time children's person. They just didn't have the money to do that. They didn't have a curriculum. They didn't have a project. So uh, Senator Rodriguez provided the money for both children's services and uh, money that uh, we transferred to or awarded to Animal Protection New Mexico so that children and pets could um, be safe. And um, that project uh, was run by our coalition for, I don't know, maybe five years, five or six years. And um, we were considering it a pilot, but it was so successful um, that CYFD eventually um, gave it much, much more money and expanded it. Um, and, and they sort of uh, took it over. The reason it was successful, I think, is because we had outcome measures for people, but they were given the freedom to design whatever they wanted. And I'm thinking about, for example, uh, Nambe Pueblo. They, uh, they used art therapy to work with their kids, and they uh, created something called a fairy village and their therapist had a name and wore a funny mustache and it was it was just cute but they created a fairy village and the idea was 
what would Nambe look like if it was a safe place, basically? And they had like a little hospital and they had all, they, they created a community where these kids thought uh, everyone would be safe and would be happy. And it was just a fabulous project and um, probably my favorite of all time, but there were many like that, right? Everybody did something uh, a little different. And so that's why it worked. And, you know, you asked me about New Mexico and how it's different. Uh, one of the ways it's different is that not every community um, is motivated by the same things. Communities are, 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 they truly are different and what works in one will not work in the other. And I think we're, we always want to standardize everything. And I totally get it. Boy, that's a lot easier. It's easier to evaluate. And there are times when that's really necessary. But in New Mexico, that people resist that a little because things don't work um, the same way for everyone. And so this project was evidence of that, right? When, when left to their own devices, projects set up those things that were going to work in their communities. And the proof, as the saying goes, was in the pudding and... Um, it, it turned out that, that we, we actually had a national researcher come in and, um, and found that what we were doing um, was very, very positive um, and successful. So um, I, think, I, I think that uh, is something that I'm happiest about. I know earlier in the podcast, you mentioned that we were receiving additional funds that we had been working mm -hmm. on that. And so I think this is a great opportunity to talk about how people can support us best. So uh, this year, back in July, uh, we were invited to meet with the governor. And so a couple of our programs, I was there and uh, the state funder CYFD and another state funder, CVRC, it's called, uh, went to, to visit with the governor and we asked for increased funding. And she provided almost in her budget, almost twice what we actually asked for. Um, and then of course, as the process wore on and you know, it, that's how the budget session goes, um, it was whittled down a little, but in the end, um, our programs received uh, just a little bit less um, than $6 million. Um, most of it uh, is recurring, meaning it's going to be available every year. Some of it will only be available for one year, um, but it was really um, for us um, a, a good outcome. Part of the, uh, the, of the funding, about $400,000 of it recurring, um, is for coordinated community response systems, which is the, the sort of initiative I was telling you about whereby communities work together and, you know, consequences can be provided other than uh, jail. Battery intervention programs are a nice alternative to that. And so that will help a lot to increase and expand the number of programs who are doing that. So that amount of money was, um, was very helpful. So again, it was probably just a little bit less than, than 6 million. Um, in terms of what people can do, um, we, we like to um, provide opportunities for our programs 
to get funding. Um, we try not to accept money for our coalition office that could better go to one of our programs. So for example, if there was a business, let's say in Albuquerque, who said, Can, you know, we'd like to give you money, we would say, here are the programs that are operating in Albuquerque and we'd like to see you do that. And so that's kind of how, you know, there are projects of course, that we undertake, right? You know, for example, the children's project and the, the pets, uh, safety for pets project I just mentioned um, that we do provide, but our, our funding goes for increasing the level of assistance we can give to our programs. So whenever, if someone's going to give money to us, um, they can know that that's what it's going to go for and that we're really clear about that. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, thanks uh, for doing this. And as you can imagine, I could probably talk all day. I could talk all day, every day for three weeks um, about any number of uh, topics um, when it comes to our programs and domestic violence. Um, but I just, I want to, I want to thank, I guess, our providers, obviously, for the hard work um, that they did uh, over the course of the pandemic. Um, this was a really, really hard time for everyone. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you to the communities for supporting them because people really came out and did that. The last thing I'd like to say is um, we have a, an annual newsletter that we put out, you know, about, you know, during the session before, during and after. And um, I would encourage anyone uh, who wants to see kind of what we've been up to and get a, into a little more depth um, to go to our website um, where nmcadv.org where that can be found. I will add that in the show notes for you all. I'll add the link to our annual newsletter as well as a link to find your closest New Mexico domestic violence program if you would like to support them or need support for yourself. That's fabulous, yeah, great. Thank you so much, Pam, for joining me today and for making this the first official episode of the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence Speaking Out podcast. All right. Well, thank you, Pam. And we we did it. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> we did. We made it, right? <laughs> A lot of fast talking. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.